Ryder Nation and William Powell bringing the energy, bringing the fight, bringing the fire every game day, every practice. Let's go, Ryder Nation. I'm ready. I'm ready. Here we go. This is episode 167 of the Piffles podcast, your premier Saskatchewan Rough Riders podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. My name is Alex. I'm Steve. And I got a Woodard. (laughs) (laughs) As a a top performer of the week, I guess uh, you also must have a Fajard on, right? That as well. (laughs) That's it. We're done. Just wrap it. This show's going to be PG from now on, I promise. Episode 167, two and oh, so good. Give us a follow on Twitter at Pod. You can give me a follow at RealAlexD. You can follow me at Safamud. And don't follow me at Greg on Sports. I don't care anymore. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast. Greg, I don't believe you. And the website, pifflespodcast.com. Piffles Podcast is brought to you by Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. And we're also a proud member of the CFPN, the Canadian Football Podcast Network, and a part of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. Gentlemen, it's time for me to eat some crow. Time for the opening kickoff. And I'm not going to laugh today because I, I, as the bright and sunshiny on this uh, sunny uh, one on this year's season, I feel great about myself. You, uh, yeah, that's why, that's why I'm going to eat some crow a little bit right now. Not a ton of it. I want to first off, before we even talk about this, this game against Hamilton, that the riders completely dominated from front to end. I just want to say props to the O-line. They are holding themselves together. They're just playing awesome. I don't even know how to explain it. They're just, they're making great plays. And so far through two games, I've been wrong about them. And I'm very, very happy about that. No one's happier about that than me and my seven and seven prediction. Although I still think they're going to struggle a little bit down the stretch with so many road games in the last little bit of the schedule. That prediction's looking pretty dumb right now. So I will eat a little bit of crow on that. And starting off with that offensive line. And I know that I come like the world's biggest homer, but Logan Furlan is showing himself as the junior player that, I knew he was like, the guy is great. And he doesn't look out of place on that line at all. And you know what? You could see a noticeable difference between uh, last week and this week. When you look at the the tackles on the outside, I, I, I can't say enough good things about Lauderdale as well. If you're not hearing their names, that's a good thing. And we haven't been hearing much of the offensive lines names in games, at least called by the refs. So very good stuff to start the season, but let's get to this game. 30 to 8, absolute domination at Mosaic Stadium last Saturday night. Riders crushing Hamilton. I want to start with the defense. They were on fire the entire game. Turnovers. Jonathan Woodward had three sacks and a forced fumble there. They were just all over the place. Jason Shivers has done a fantastic job with this defense. And this is the absolute strength of the team right now. I don't think that we're too far away from Shivers being in the talk of being a head coach in this league as young as he is. Like he has this defense firing on cylinders and I, some of those, the, the interceptions, like what, like I can't even believe our receivers. I think couldn't make some of those catches. Like especially on tipped balls too, changing direction. Great catches. Normally you put the guys on uh, as a DB because they want to be wide receivers and they don't have the hands for it. These guys proved that wrong. And you know what? When we when we lost Freddie Bishop to start the season, we lost Charleston Hughes in the offseason. I was a little concerned. I know you guys weren't so much about our defensive line. But holy hell, between Keon Adams, Jonathan Woodard, Micah Johnson, McCannahan, like that whole D-line has just been crushing it from, from the start of the season. It's uh, It's been great to see. And my fear, no longer there. And you miss AC Leonard Leonard there. And he's, and I hate people saying motor doesn't quit, but that guy is everywhere because he's such a pure athlete. He is in the Willie Jefferson 
vein of athlete on that defensive line. Well, go back to the first game against BC. He had that game ceiling interception at the end of the game. He had uh, the fumble recovery at the end of the first half this game against Hamilton, which was caused by Jonathan Woodard. And that set up the Riders for a touchdown at the end of the half. Uh, Huge, huge plays. And this defense just getting it done at all levels. And the nice thing about this defense is we had all these, it wasn't necessarily us, but I think a lot of Rider Nation were saying, what about the linebackers? What about the linebackers? Especially after Larry Dean got hurt. They're not out of place. Micah Micah Tights does not look out of place. We saw AJ Hendy, who's just new to the CFL in the Sam spot. He had an interception. These guys are playing very, very well. And they're not a hindrance to the team at all. Tights had, had a low-key great game. I think I even threw in a tweet saying he, there was Tights coverage because he was in everyone's <laughs> back pocket when he was out there. Like he He's not showing out of place. Everyone was worried when we lost Chris Judge. What a oh, – Chris Judge. Uh, when Cameron we lost Judge. Cameron Judge. I'm a big uh, God of War fan, all right? When we lost uh, Judge, uh, everyone was concerned about that Canadian linebacker spot, but Tights doesn't look out of place. Don't get me wrong. It probably would be better with Judge there, but Tights is holding his own. Now, in that game, of course, Jeremiah Mazzoli got benched uh, towards the end of the game for Dane Evans. And after the game, Jeremiah Mazzoli says, there's no reason why I shouldn't start game number three after the bye week here for Hamilton. I don't know. Two straight bad games by Mazzoli where they've really only put together two touchdown drives. You might have to switch to Dane Evans if you're if you're Orlando Steinauer. I'm honestly surprised they didn't make that call sooner. He was bad from the get-go. Like there, I w- there was never a point in that game when he had the ball that I was remotely concerned. He seemed off. His passes weren't there. There was no touch on them. I, I think they have to make the move. They, they, you can't go with Masoli in week three, or I guess week four, after the first two weeks. They put up, what, 13, 14 points in two weeks? 14 and yes. points. Yep. And it's a short sample size, but Dean didn't even look that good either. That entire Hamilton offense does not look right at all. And considering they're everyone's favorite to come out of the East, I don't know what you do. Here's a question. They were the team that uh, didn't change pretty much anything since 2019. Same roster, same coaches. Was that, we were thinking going into a season without, you know, with taking a year off, that might be the best thing is, is you have that continuity that might've ended up being the worst thing is that they didn't make any changes whatsoever. But how is that possible? I, I don't get it. You think there'd be some carryover from 2019, even just a little bit, but they just seem to be just in shambles. Like nothing is clicking at all. Well, I think a lot of it comes down to, to injuries for them and, and a really weak O-line. I don't know if it's so much entirely Masoli's fault, but even even if he doesn't have the time, he's still making bad decisions on a constant basis. Well, let's get to a couple of the riders' touchdowns here because it wasn't just about scoring the touchdowns. It was about what happened after or during those plays. So we'll start with the Cody Fajardo touchdown, the first score for the riders of this game. If you look at it, it was Simone Lawrence coming in hot and took out Shaq Evans' legs, and uh, he Shaq Evans was making the seal block on the outside at the goal line, at the sideline, and allowed Fajardo to get in. And Shaq Evans, as we found out on Tuesday, broken, broken foot out six to eight weeks. Huge loss for the Riders. Simone Lawrence taking out another rider early in the season. That's, uh, I mean, that worked out really well for us in 20, uh, 2019. Maybe whoever steps in, be it Paul McRoberts or who, whomever, for uh, for Shaq in Game Three and going forwards, will will do what uh, what Cody has done since uh, since he stepped in. And that Cody looks more like confident in his runs this year. He doesn't seem to be making that weird looping back turn. He actually when he goes, he actually puts his head down and just decides he's going. And you can see that a few times that game where he just decided, nope, nothing's there. I'm gone. And he he would scramble for that first down. 
You know well, where I didn't like to see that, though? Late in the game when they kept him in with six or seven minutes left. Oh, I got something to say about that. Yeah, I'm going to ask you guys about that in just a little bit. But I want to get to the Kyron Moore touchdown in the second half. And, of course, that's when Jake Hardy uh, and Frankie Williams of Hamilton got into a little bit of a fight. And both of them were ejected. Comes out after that Jake Hardy was allegedly spit on by Frankie Williams. And apparently this is not the first time that this has been done by Frankie Williams. So first off, let's let's just start with him. If this is not the first time that it's been done and it comes out, you know, when the fines come out that, yes, he did get fined for spitting and, and it did happen. If this is more than the first time, like when is enough enough? Because that's probably a the most disrespectful thing you can do to somebody. B, we're still in a pandemic here and that's assault. Like, that's ridiculous that this guy is doing this. Well, Hardy's one number. Uh, Hardy's a killer. He was fired <laughs> up on the way out because that's, well, that's where his seats are. You can just see, like, he had murder in his eyes. He is lucky. Uh, Williams is lucky that Hardy actually didn't get a, a hold of him. But, and I couldn't figure out why he was so upset. But yeah, considering after the fact we heard he was uh, spit on, that would definitely get me going too. But, oh, 100%. Right. If you're, if you're, th- spitting on people right now i don't think there's a any of us would be first in line to be throwing even, hands even before that's the disgusting. pandemic even before the pandemic you get spit on i anything you do after that's pretty much justified i think i i think that's that you're right it is considered assault right now especially because we're in a pandemic i i think you need to suspend a guy for something like that instantly like it shouldn't be a question if there's any proof that a guy spits on someone you can't sit there and say you're serious about the health and safety of the players and, you know, vaccine vaccination rates are important, all of this, and then let a guy spit on somebody and walk away from it with a fine. All I can picture in my mind, and I'm sure someone's going to want me to reference Seinfeld on this one with the spitter and uh, the grassy knoll. No, you guys, I'm getting nothing but dead stares. Oh, great, great Seinfeld episode where uh, Kramer gets spit on. I think it was by Kurt Bavakwa too. Couldn't tell you. I haven't seen all of Seinfeld, so I don't think I've ever seen that one. I but, haven't seen much of Seinfeld, so I'm out of the loop on there. But, uh, I mean, good on Jake Hardy, one, for standing up for himself, but also, two, kind of keeping his cool because he could have gone a lot more off than he did. So hopefully it's over, it's done with, and, and whatnot. But, yeah, it was absolutely ridiculous that that happened. And the last thing you want to see right now is a guy like Hardy who has worked his ass off for the last few years to get back onto the field. Shaq's out for six to eight weeks. This is his chance. This is his moment to, to, to get back onto a full-time spot on the roster or on the, in the receiving core. You want to see him back on the, I hope back on the field. I really hope he doesn't get suspended. Yeah. Well, and McInnes is down too. So especially being that Canadian right now, he, he's going to get more snaps. So. Yeah, you definitely don't want him spending any time uh, and giving his money back to the CFL. And speaking of Canadian receivers, Mitch Pickton getting his first career touchdown in just his second career start. So seeing that was super awesome. And this is the first time, you guys, since probably, oh, the Chris Getzlaff, Andy Fantuz, Jason Claremont, and uh, Rob Bag days back in, you know, 10 years ago. Canadian Air Force, baby. Yeah, exactly. This might be the new version of it because you still have Justin McInnes who's hurt. You have Terrell Jana this past year's second round draft pick on the practice roster. Like there's loaded up on on receivers right now, Canadian receivers, but they look like they're hanging in there and, and they're they're providing. So can't really complain about anything there. No, I'm excited about our Canadian receivers. We probably got the best Canadian receiver depth in the league right now. And I know everyone was talking about Calgary in 2019 because they had some good Canadian depth, but I would probably put our Canadian receivers against them right now. We're, we're definitely not sitting there with that token seventh Canadian just running routes uh, from years gone by. They're all, all three of the guys we saw in action, for the most part, on on Saturday night are, are legitimate threats. And and you're, you're right, there's still a couple that haven't even been on the field this year. It's a great, uh, a great problem to have. I'm willing to bet that uh, Braden Lenius has the most yards as a Canadian receiver this year. Because he seems to be to be a big part of the offense this year. Yep, can't wait to see him. 
light it up here because they're uh they're they're throwing it to them they're they're trusting them and cody's making very good decisions finding them open and they're making good plays a lot of them second down conversions too which is really nice to see which uh there doesn't seem to be one go-to guy this year for second downs it seems to be quite a few of them that they're trusting so that's super good and that kind of brings me to my next point about jason moss and just looking at this offense and this is this is everything that we expected this offense to be in 2020 before the season got canceled, of course, with the hiring of Jason Moss as the offensive coordinator. But to me, clearly, this is the best move that the Riders have made in the last few years, hiring Jason Moss. We actually got to see William Powell a lot this week. That was nice. Between Powell and Cody running and the passing game, there was actually a very balanced attack. What was it like 14 carries in the second half for Powell, something like that? It, it was it was great because it was a lot better than when the week before where he went like an entire half without without uh, carry. So I I don't know why what why Moss went the other way last week, but no, this week was a great week of football and a great plan. I enjoyed every minute of it. I, I think in typical rider fashion, we're really experiencing that roller coaster on how we feel about our our offensive coordinator because you know first half of last week we were riding that high second half we were plummeting down to earth and then last week the entire game it felt it felt a lot more like what we come to we'll come to expect from from moss going forwards i'm i'm pumped about what he's done so far and as somebody who picked william powell in fantasy last week he he did uh pull out the win for me so that's good of course shaq evans we mentioned on the six game injury list with a broken foot it does look like Paul McRoberts is going to get that next man up uh, starting spot. But what it looks like is it looks like Paul McRoberts is going to be in the slot and you're going to move Jordan Williams Lambert out wide, taking out Shaq's spot there. So I kind of expect a lot of Paul McRoberts here against Ottawa. And hey, what a what a good team to try and uh, break out against. Is it too early to say guarantee win night? Don't do it. We'll, we'll do it do in it. the picks. Uh, I, I don't know what a win night. Yeah. Um, a probable win night. Yeah. There you go. I, I, I don't know if I like moving, um, uh, Williams Lambert out to wide receiver. Cause didn't we try that and it didn't work well already, but anything to get McRoberts into the play, everyone keeps on raving about how good he was in uh training camp both this year and the previous year. So I, I, I really can't wait to see what he can do. And the way he's talking on Twitter, he better be able to back it up because he sounds like he's ready to go off. And you know what? Ottawa's defense is is relatively good. So you're you're going up against a solid defensive core. You'll get a real good look at what his potential might just be uh, this week. I know we're not in the uh, the preview yet, but is Ottawa's defense really that good? Or they just play a really crappy Edmonton team? Because Edmonton this past week, was just as bad, if not worse, against Montreal, who's a better team. Yes. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a little bit. That was the opening kickoff presented by Kathy Festion of Royal LePage, Regina Realty. Well, let's move on to the Churchill Brewing Company odds and end zones. Let's talk about some of those other games this past weekend. BC at Calgary, that was the Thursday night game. Um I will say that that was a terrible game. I wrote this down. I'm going to bookmark this game for when the NHL, sorry, when the NFL haters come out and say the CFL is a better game. That game was brutal. And that I'm including, I'm not including Michael Riley in that because he played his ass off, especially with his elbow being still a mess, but his throws were a lot better. But just overall, that was just a bad game. You had kickers missing from 20 yards out again. Granted, that guy's probably going to be out of BC anyway. Bo no, he's already Mitchell, been released. Bo, Bo Levi Mitchell throws four picks. Now, granted, that was before we knew that he had a broken leg. Um, but it was just a bad game, guys. I, I'm going to go on a mini rant here. You've got literally um, Michael Riley throwing with half an arm. You've got Bo Levi Mitchell on one leg. And you got two great, really good young Canadian quarterbacks behind them. Why aren't you playing them? I don't get it. Well, I think for both of these teams, especially when you look at it as a 14-game season where you don't have the the luxury of a lot of mistakes, putting in a, a young Canadian rookie 
could be a scary proposition. But how bad do you have to think the guy is? Like, how much how much faith does a Calgary coaching staff have to or have in um, Michael O'Connor to to not play him over Bo Levi with a broken leg? Like, how what does that say? If you're Michael O'Connor right now, what are you what are you feeling? Like, how are you comfortable leading that team for the next six to eight weeks if a guy with a broken leg was playing ahead of you? Bolivar Mitchell has a broken leg. It could have been made way worse where he is done for the season and you're trotting him out there in week two instead of letting him heal because you can't, you, you refuse to lose to Michael Riley, who also cannot throw right now because BC refuses to throw him out and put in Rourke. Like what, at what point does player safety actually mean anything in this league? Cause that is garbage. I'm sorry. If, if uh, Dickie's throwing out uh, Cody Fajardo on nubs and refusing to throw in Harker or um, I'm drawing a blank now, uh, Paxton Lynch, because for some, he doesn't believe in him that that's garbage too. I'm sorry. Like these are players careers that could be over in an instant and you're throwing them out there. Not at a hundred percent. Well, I'm curious how much of that comes down to they're the veteran quarterbacks. They're arguably the two best quarterbacks in the CFL. They've won championships. They've won MOPs. Like they're just, they're just, uh, how much slack do you give your, your franchise quarterback to, when he says, Hey coach, I'm good to go. Of course the player's going to say that almost every single time, but you have to listen to him if you're the coach, right? Like how much, especially a veteran quarterback, like, okay, you've built that trust with him over the years. You kind of have to trust him, right? Michael Michael Riley, sure. You're talking about pain management, but a broken leg. At how is that even an option? Like that's not a pain thing. That is a potential long term damage. Like like Greg said, that's not a that should not be up to the player. At no point should that be should the player's opinion be any part of that discussion. You see a break in that leg, gone. Also, why isn't a broken leg in the injury report? That might be important. I, I know we're beating this injury report and be, sports betting over the head, but this is starting to get ridiculous. It's it's not making any difference. Well, I, I want to jump back a little bit because uh, you mentioned it again and we totally forgot to get to it, was uh, Cody Fajardo. And uh, why was he not taken out of this game against Hamilton? So here you go. Why was Cody Fajardo not taken out of this game when it was a 22 point game with a few minutes left, would you not have put Parker in, even if it's just to hand the ball off to Powell a few times? How many times you know did what? tweet that out? Like, it was ridiculous. Like, why is Cody still in this game? Why is Cody still in this game? And then I started cursing because why is he still in the game? If all he's doing is handing the ball off to William Powell and sauntering off to the side while Powell runs up the middle, sure, fine, keep him in there. Still stupid, understandable. But to have him running the ball, like designed quarterback draws up three scores late in the game is just asking for trouble. And that is going to come back at some point this year. It will bite us in the ass if he does it again. Now going back to, uh, to Calgary here for a second. 0-2 for the first time since 2009. It's been that long it. since they've won back-to-back games to start the season. Crazy to me. You hate, you hate to see it. You really do. Like, <laughs> I, I, I know that I never wanted this day to come. I didn't pray for it. I didn't wish for it. Uh, I, I, anytime a shooting star went by, I said, please don't let Calgary lose two games in a row. You know, Alex, you said at the beginning that, that this was a bad game. This is a terrible game. And you're bookmarking it for, for one thing. I'm booking mark, bookmarking it as my happiest moment of the season so far. Anytime Calgary starts 0-2, is, is beautiful because all we hear is how great they are, how great they were going to be. And anytime you predicted them to be less than perfect, you were wrong. Well, maybe this year we're finally right after doing it for how many years? How many of the years have we been hosting this show? Every year. Yeah. So, I mean, I know broken clocks and whatnot, but uh, this is definitely one of those. I'll remember this game for, uh, for the loss more than the excitement from the game, if there was any. The best part is uh, both Alberta teams are, are over. So they're, they're, we have 0-4 in Alberta right now. There's not a win in Alberta. 
which is so good. But then again, you, you got to think the Elks are doing okay for an expansion team, so that's all right. Not, not only that, but but Toronto and Ottawa are the two best teams in the in Ontario. So go go and try and make that uh, make sense. What was it? First time since 1966 or something like that that uh, both Edmonton and Calgary have lost their first two games. Well, that worked out well for us that year. So let's let's hope that continues. Well, the other games last week, Toronto and Winnipeg. Winnipeg's defense is no joke. They uh, pretty much dominated that whole entire game. The big story about that game, obviously, though, is Toronto going to Nick Arbuckle at quarterback. And sounds like he's going to get the start this week for the rematch in Toronto against Winnipeg. Is it now Nick Arbuckle's team instead of McLeod Bethel Thompson's? The only thing I really know about Nick Arbuckle, he's got a cat that hates Mondays. That's the only thing I know about him. <laughs> Garfield jokes are always welcome here. <laughs> See, I had I, 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 uh, recover for the Seinfeld joke that no one got, but I don't know. Like, I don't know what's wrong with Macbeth. I, I expected more out of him, but Nick Arbuckle definitely had more of a command of the offense, but by then it was too late. But Winnipeg's defense, when you got a guy like Willie Jefferson all over the place and, and Big Hill back there, like those are two wrecking balls that you just cannot control no matter what you do. I think the moment that they signed Nick Arbuckle, this was always going to be his team. It was it was a matter of when, not if. And I think the moment the moment came on uh, halfway through that game, and I don't think he relinquishes the uh, the starting job back to Macbeth anytime soon. Montreal at Edmonton, maybe the biggest surprise of the week, at least from from the score, what it was. Is Edmonton, here's a few different questions for you guys. Is Edmonton a trash team? Because both their offense and defense were god-awful in this game. Well, I, I got to admit, watching that team from afar, I think it's a cultural problem. Um, <laughs> I, I think I'm starting to realize why I'm never invited on the turf district now that I think about it. <laughs> but uh, this team, I don't know. And... It's amazing how many people came out of the blue to trash Trevor Harris that played in this league. I don't think he's liked. I don't think he's really that well liked. Um, but I don't know what's wrong with Edmonton. Everyone also had them pegged to make big leaps this year, and they their their offense is it's not there. It's completely transparent. You can they just can't do anything besides James Walder, which I have in fantasy, which is okay. I'm I'm shocked at how bad they are, and it they might get worse before they get better. If if everything you read about Trevor Harris is correct, I don't know how that team can can rise up and and perform better uh, with him at the helm. Well, here's the thing about their offense: is back in 2019 they were moving the ball with ease. They just couldn't score touchdowns. They were settling for field goal after field goal after field goal, and we're seeing that again is they're they were able to move the ball, but they're not scoring touchdowns. And that's going to be a downfall. Anytime you can move the ball and you're finishing with three instead of seven, you're not going to win games by kicking the ball. And their defense, I don't know what to say about the defense. They're just, I mean, I mean, they held Ottawa to under a hundred yards in week one, but uh, they didn't really do anything that game. They they Outside honestly never they never should have lost that first game. Like that first game was just an outlier. They it was a pick six that changed that was the entire game right there. And but their their, their offense is just hot garbage right now. Like Trevor no, Harris, out- Trevor Harris dis- disappears more in the red zone than he does when the uh, those uh, ads come over top of him and, and <laughs> wipe him out. No, on the other side of the ball, Montreal. That was their first game of the year and. And I picked Edmonton last week just based off Montreal not having any gameplay and Edmonton having some some football speed under them and and being able to use that going forward. But Vernon Adams Jr., who I picked as my MOP this year, is he the real deal? Because, man, they look good. Uh, Vernon Adams has always been the real deal. Like, when he never really got a shot here, I was quite disappointed because he's a decent quarterback. Is he undersized? Yes. 
but so is Doug Flutie. Who cares? This is the CFL. If you if you can run and move and throw, you can be a quarterback in this league. And Vernon Adams is really good at what he does. Um, and yes, and I picked Edmonton last week too because I, like I said, I could not judge a team without seeing them play. So without even a preseason, I wasn't going to judge uh, Edmonton versus Montreal. Um, that said, Kari Jones is a great coach. They've got a good team. They they might win the East this year, to be honest. I mean, I mean, at this point, who else is going to win the East? The the only other competition looks like it looks like it's Toronto, and who really thought that was happening? Even if they did sign no. every single free agent available, and no sacks from Charleston Hughes, they just cut Odell Willis on Tuesday. Jeez, that defense is already taking a beating in Toronto. I feel bad for Odell Willis. It's uh, Ed, Ed Hervey can't just sign him up immediately. So I don't know what he's going to do for his uh, job future. Churchill Brewing Company odds and end zones here on the Piffles podcast. Uh, let's get to our Piffles memories where uh, you guys send in a game and we tell you what we, what we remember from that. And uh, I've been looking forward to this one, the 2007 Banjo Bowl. Uh, gentlemen, if you guys want to start off, what do you remember from that game? I was working in Fort Mac. I was sitting on a uh, what a machine known as a tack rig, and I was honking my horn every time the riders scored. So, because my entire crew was basically all from Saskatchewan, and they couldn't hear the game, but I could. And yeah, that's what I remember. I never actually so saw it. The, so you weren't honking the horn very much that game. No. I, I can say with absolute certainty, I remember absolutely nothing from, from the 2007 Banjo Bowl. I, I don't, I, I'd love to say I have a fond memories, but I know we lost. I know it wasn't pretty, but that's probably why I don't remember any of it. 34 to 15, the Bombers absolutely crushed the Riders. I will, we went to that game um, on, a, on a bus trip and it was fantastic. And every time we've gone to Winnipeg, it's always been a blast. The Banjo Bowl, honestly, is my favorite game of the year to go to that includes labor day here i love the banjo bowl it's so much fun i'll never forget we were on the upper deck in that game and that was when the riders were rolling and matt dominguez boom goes down torn acl done for the rest of the year and i just thought then with such the strong start that the riders had what were they seven and two to start that season it's like oh man like, that's not good. That's our number one receiver. But sure enough, they were able to uh, turn a couple losses in a row there to uh, a magical Grey Cup run in 07. So um, didn't seem to affect them all that much. But it was just one of those games where you get crushed and you move on. And that's the thing with the banjo, like the banjo ball that year. That's like the for, one of those forgotten games. You think of all those games in 2007 where it was like, oh, it was a team of destiny and the memories and that. That banjo ball gets completely forgotten. <laughs> Well, it doesn't help that it followed on the uh, on the coattails of the the Kerry Joseph draw up the middle for uh, for the Labor Day win. I mean, if if you're a Ryder fan and you have to pick between remembering an epic victory or an ass kicking, I mean, my my favorite thing about <laughs> rewatching that Kerry uh, and re, I know we're not talking about the banjo bowl anymore, <laughs> but that Labor Day is I completely forgot those st- the temporary stands weren't there yet. So when you watch that video clip and you watch them run in the end zone, you're like. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's, there's fans just standing at the end of the field. Man, do I miss Hemorrhoid Hill. <laughs> uh. well, there's the 2007 Banjo Bowl. Let's get to, uh, we have a rant this week. And this is, uh, I think, Greg, you're going to take, uh, take a hold of this with uh, something that happened at Mosaic Stadium that was done by the Riders. I okay. I, I I need to know. Can we have the Gopher drug tested? Because I think he's on meth again. Oh, what did Gainer do now, Greg? Why? Okay, I under okay. The wave. It is no secret how much I hate the wave. Hate it too. Hate it. Can't stand it. Nothing it works. is the dumbest thing in sport. Hey, look! I can stand up. I can sit down. I can stand up. I can sit down. No one cares. Everyone's seen it. Move on. It's it's cool. The first time you see it, it's like, oh, look at it. It's a, like a wave of people. 
And then once it's gone by, it's like, okay, that's cool. And now uh, it, it's not fun. No, no one likes it. Move on. However, and when, when we, when they had the ref union meeting where they were just standing out trying to figure out who's getting kicked out and who wasn't. And that thing took way too long. I'm like, okay, you can do the wave. Go ahead. But when the riders are in offense, why is the team mascot trying to start a wave? Why? Like, I want to look that gopher in the eyes and see if they're still green. Like, what the hell? Yeah, that's that's inexcusable. There's there's no way that Gainer should be doing that on offense. On defense, I'll give it a little bit more leeway, but never on offense. And leave the wave back in the 80s. Man, I hate that thing. I hate being the one person that's just sitting there pouting the entire time. No, I'm not going to do it. Arms crossed. Oh, yeah, I was arms, I, I'm arms crossed. And basically, every time it comes by me, I'm like, no. <laughs> like I physically, I audibly say no every time it comes by. You know, I will say this: I'm not a fan of the wave, and this is mostly your guys's fault. I used to enjoy it, but you guys have beaten me into submission. I no longer like the wave, but I would love to see it one day. If they're gonna do it, have fun with it, and have the upper decks go one way, and the lower deck go the other. Oh, you're gonna confuse people yes, there. Yes, it, I know, yeah. and it'd be beautiful to watch. People are dumb. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I love Ryder fans, but uh, people are dumb animals in general. Like, you could not have them go opposite directions. There's gonna be one drunk person in the middle counting while the thing's going around already. I just think it'd be fun to watch. But you know what? I I don't have so much. I do have an issue with starting the wave on offense. It's stupid. But they also, you look at the other things that they do, like. Every time they showed somebody with a kid with a sign that says my first rider game, every single time the crowd cheered, which is perfect. That's what you want. Twice at least they showed that kid or one of those kids while we're on offense, causing an uproar as we're lining up or having the cameraman aim at a a crowd, like a section of people trying to get them to make some noise and cheer and scream as we're on offense. Don't do crowd shots on offense. Simple, simple fix. And don't get me wrong. I understand Gainer probably has no idea what to do, considering he's not allowed on the field. Can't do his usual hijinks. Can't pull out his signs. Can't pull out the drum. Can't drag a tiger behind a bike anymore. Like, I understand his his, his, uh, scope is limited right now. But yeah, that was just, like, why? Why are you trying to start the wave when we're on offense? I I felt so bad for him when he tried to do the go riders go with the signs. And when you've got two different sides of people and you point one at one side and one at the other, it's really easy for for the like anybody to follow along. But nobody knew where he was. So he's sitting there with the go riders go sign, but he's doing one this way, one this way. And everybody is like. And there was no audible chant coming from that. It was kind of funny to watch, but I felt bad. That it that it happened. It's poor poor planning. So here's the thing. Like, so they move the cheerleaders onto the stage, and all their dance routines now are pre-taped. The show on the board. Why not just do pre-taped stuff with Gainer, where you have like a giant arrow pointing to the north side, or the east side and the west side. Like, if you, if you want to do stuff like that, like, and just have Gainer the rest of the games wander around, wave at kids. Like, you don't need to have him try and do stuff live because it's just not translating. Well, in, he, in the in the COVID era, he he won't get into the Hall of Fame if you uh, if if you don't get him his constant screen time, and that's that's well, the big push right now. He ain't making the Hall of Fame. I'm sorry, Regina's not big enough market. Hall of Fame. Yeah, big big petition to get him in the mascot Hall of Fame going on right now. So if you see that post <laughs> circulating on uh, Facebook, you uh, basically have to go there, sign the petition, and then they'll put him into voting and goes from there. Ryder fandom is not big enough to get Gainer in the Hall of Fame, the mascot Hall of Fame. I'm sorry. There's only one mascot from a Canadian team ever in the Hall of Fame, and it's Yuppie from the Expos, kind of from the Montreal Canadiens, but the Expos. And, and as he should be, Yuppie's the national treasure. Couple, one more thing on Gainer. I just want to know how he's not a tier one CFL employee. I just don't understand how he can't be on the field. He's a mascot. Like, I mean, I, I get it, the COVID protocols and whatnot. He's, if you're worried about him wearing a mask, he's wearing a full flipping helmet. I mean, come on. Like, you can put him on the field. It's fine. 
Like, I don't understand how that's such an issue. I get it. They're doing that league wide and fine. It's fair for everyone else, but come on, like, let's, let's get real here. You're cramming 33,000 people into a stadium without social distancing. And then you're like, Oh no, that guy wearing a big giant gopher outfit. Nope. Nope. He can't be anywhere near players. What? That makes no sense whatsoever. That said, Gainer and uh, coked up Gainer is still less scary than any mascot the uh, Edmonton Elks franchise ever had. Imagine my disappointment when I found out Punter was still there. Man, I there's no mascot I hate in the world more than Punter from the Elks. Punter, and now they got Spike with who with his mismatching like horns Spike. and a gold tooth. Yeah, he looks great. I love him. Oh my. God, <laughs> what between those guys and, and links is it from uh, no Hunter? Hunter, Hunter with yeah, the Oilers. Hunter. Like, I don't know what it is about Edmonton sports teams and their mascots that look like they come from horror movies, but they, they, they definitely got the market going. Like, last I, I last I checked, mascots are mostly for not mostly, they're for kids. Why, why these creatures that are there designed to scare the hell out of them? I don't know, but I, I'm all for it. I, I want to see more of it. Um, beats, one more beats a little, giant potato. One more uh, little mini rant before we go, and I can't believe I missed this. Offside on the goal line. <gasps> Three times in a row. I don't understand how that can happen. There's a big, giant white line. Do not cross it. Do not put your fingernail over top of it. That's it. It's done. It does not pass that line. That One of them, okay, sure, you're trying to get the jump. You're trying to get every little you know, spec closer to trying to prevent a touchdown. I get that. One of them, I'll give them some leeway. The second time, really, guys? Are you kidding me? And that was the play where they punched the ball out on Jeremiah Mazzoli jumping over top. That was so top. good. I, I, that thing Fantastic would have been, that... defensive play wasted because these guys can't line up properly. And, like, are you guys kidding me? Like, you can't just say it's, well, oh, the CFL, you have to give one yard off. If you're in the middle of the field where there's no hash marks, I can understand how you wouldn't be able to give a yard off and, and how your depth perception might be a little bit off. But like you're on the goal line, the ball's at the one, you cannot cross the big white line in front of you. And then again, a third time. Now Mazzoli scored on that third time. So it wasn't actually a penalty the third time, but are you kidding me guys? Three times in a row. I sure hope they got ripped into on that by Jason Shivers and Craig Dickinson. Cause that was just brutal. The worst part about that punch out is I can't find that clip anywhere because it didn't even make the highlight package because it was it didn't count because the play didn't happen. I know. It's like oh, so good. Just just Great. wait for the next edition of the the misplays of the month, and they'll show all three of them one after the other, and you can get your clip then. <sighs> anyway, enemy preview: Red Blacks coming to Saskatchewan on Saturday at five p.m. You didn't say it properly. Oh, sorry. Red Blacks. There you go. Coming to Mosaic Stadium on Saturday at 5 p.m. Ottawa coming off their bide week. And with them scoring less than or having less than 100 yards against Edmonton, this Ryder D, <laughs> this might be the best game we'll ever see this Ryder defense play. Nick Marshall might actually beat the record for a Ryder's uh, interception touchdown. Of this game uh he, he, he might beat it this week alone it is that is a bad offense it's gonna be a bloodbath like like they, they never should have beat Edmonton they they fluked into a victory on that game um that said it's probable win night but the riders have this nasty way of playing to the worst team in the league and making it a adventure so I'm not too excited about it yet you play and that's up to exactly your opponents, correct. You play down to your opponents. As Ryder fans, for how many years we've we've come to expect that the best Ryder teams in history would play down to the worst teams in the league every given year. That's just what we do. I I won't go as to go so far as to say it's a guaranteed win night, but I will say if we lose this game, I will be mighty a mighty disappointed. No, Ottawa's defense—they did play a good game against. Edmonton in week one. You think the Riders offense is just a little bit in tough against Ottawa's defense? No. I, after seeing Edmonton play a second game, no. <laughs> like, Edmonton's offense is not 
it looks like Hamilton. They're not clicking. Like the only thing working for Edmonton right now is a run game. And basically once you get to the red zone with Trevor Harris, he's just not doing anything. So they're putting a lot of field goals on the board when they shouldn't be. So I'm not concerned about Ottawa's defense. Yeah. Canadian out there is pretty good and you got Pruno back there, but I'm nothing. They can, nothing they do scares me. When you're right, you look at uh, the first game of the year against, against Edmonton, they did still put up a ton of yards. Like Edmonton put up a ton of yards. I, I said earlier that Ottawa's defense scared me, but after careful consideration, I I'm with Greg, I'm not even a little bit worried. I just don't see, I don't see anything from them that should, that should worry Ryder nation on either side of the ball. The Riders should win this by three scores. At least they should. I have this weird feeling in the back of my head that it's going to be a field goal game because that's what we've seen throughout my entire life as being a Ryder fan, you play up to the team you're playing and you play down to your opponent as well. So by three scores, you mean three Rouges? It very well could be. (laughs) Yes. Um, they, they should win by three touchdowns or more, and I'd be willing to put some money on that. But I just have this weird feeling that this is going to be just a, a closer game than it should be. Ottawa having the bye week obviously is good for them. They get one more week of game film to look at at the Riders. So maybe that's of benefit to them. I don't know. But I, just, I can't see the Riders losing this game. I think it'll just be closer than we all expect it to be. Well, and look at the offensive side of the ball for Ottawa. Matt Nichols threw, was it 12, 12 completions for 70 yards, 71 yards, something like that. Like, even he completed 60% of his passes and still threw for 70 yards. So you're saying Matt Nichols was throwing his deep ball? <laughs> right? Like, that's, that's atrocious in a pass-heavy league to win with 70 yards of passing is I, I don't even know if there's a word for how bad that is. How bad do you feel be Dom Davison behind him though? <laughs> I mean, he's one and oh as a starter in, in Ottawa. So well, you, you don't pull him, but what, what do you do there? He's your guy. You got to keep rolling with him. Anyway, let's get uh, to our CFL pick this week. Hey, we actually got a game right last week, so we weren't uh, over on the spread anyway. Um, Still better than Jamie Nye. <laughs> I, I do have to give Jamie props for one thing. He tweeted out, uh, he quote tweeted a post that said, name a profession you can be very bad at and still be able to keep your job at. And he just reposted the CFL.ca writers picks for last week where he was over for four. Uh, so uh, props to him for that. That was really funny. I mean, but, you have uh, to own it at that point. <laughs> exactly. Um, but let's get to this week's games. Edmonton at BC with uh, Michael Riley being said that he is the starter this week. Nobody wins. Uh, anyone who watches loses. Uh, you, you thought that Calgary BC game was bad last week. I think this has a possibility of being worse. Um, that being said, we might actually get two Canadian quarterbacks in at the same time, which I don't even know when the last time that happened. That's a question that Rob Vanstone could probably answer more than I could. I, that said, I think BC wins this one. Nothing that Ottawa or Edmonton has done this year leads me to think that they can win a game. Uh, BC. (laughs) That's almost reason enough just to pick Edmonton right there is just that they've looked so bad that they have to look good at some point, right? No, not this week. BC will win that one. Um, We're probably all going to be in agreement with this one too. Montreal at Calgary on Friday night with uh, Bo Levi Mitchell out and Montreal looking the way they did against Edmonton. Montreal wins this one in a blowout, guys. I don't see it any other way. Uh, Yeah, no, I I think uh, Vernon Adams is going to have a great night against Calgary. Winnipeg at Toronto, rematch of last week. First game out east this season, which is kind of going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on. But uh, it was was a pretty close game for the most part last week. 
it wasn't quite in doubt at all until the very end of the game. So um, I think we could be in for a, for a really good game this week. Who do you guys got? I like Toronto at home. And I know I joked last week I'm picking every game against Winnipeg, but I actually think Toronto might win this game. You, you got to take Winnipeg. They're, they're the top team in the league right now. Toronto is on their way up, but they're not there yet. Winnipeg's defense has shown up. They've barely given up anything this entire season so far. I know it's only been two games, a very small sample size, but I can't see them giving much up again, and I got to go with Winnipeg. And the final game, we just talked about it. Pretty sure we're all in agreement here. Ottawa at Riders. We're all going Riders, right? Yeah. The Ottawa Rough Riders? <laughs> Maybe. They were actually a pretty good team back way back in the day. Renegades? They were not, never a good team. No, they were terrible. No, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it is uh, family night and uh, probable win night. See, I'm avoiding the G word. I'm really avoiding the G word as much as possible. Yeah, don't say it. Don't say it at all. Uh, I was uh, uh, a local radio station is already using it, so I think we're screwed. Ooh, DT, DT, I love you, man. But yeah, you can't you can't take a victory lap before the, before the game is played, man. What's the what's the any given Sunday, right? Or in this case, any given Saturday? Who knows? It's it's football, man. It, weird things happen in football. But that's going to do it for us this week here on the Piffles Podcast. We're, uh, of course, brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Special thanks as well to Kathy Festion of Royal LePage Regina Realty and Churchill Brewing Company for their support to make this show possible. If you guys are at Mosaic Stadium on Saturday and you see us, come say hi. We're always welcome to uh, meet and say hi to new people. So if you see us, maybe uh, throw something at us. That'll probably get our attention. Definitely throw something at us. That's uh, the best way to get our attention. Uh, before we get to Tyler Gilbert, I just want to say shout out to the name of Tyler Gilbert because he threw a no-hitter in his, his first career MLB start. It wasn't his debut because he has played. Oh, right. Uh, right, right. He had uh, been in the bullpen before, but his first start, Tyler Gilbert, not the musician, not the same guy, but still pretty cool tie-in tie with the name, threw a no-no for the Arizona Diamondbacks. So pretty cool there and a great song here as we leave you with the real Tyler Gilbert. This is Ghost Behind Your Mind.